Second Peter chapter two, verse nine, it says the Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations. It doesn't say they won't have any godly won't have any temptations. The Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations. <clears throat> Psalm 34, 19, I believe many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth him out of them all. Hallelujah. Amen. And so, so the Lord knows how to do that and he knows how to do something else and to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. And so there's no ambiguity when we're, when we're looking through this. There's there's no ambiguity as far as what the Lord thinks of the false prophet, what he has to say about the false prophet or the end where they're eventually going to end up. There's just no maybes. There's no uh uh, you know, as I said, ambiguity. It's just very clear. He's, he's got the, the righteous. And in, in our day and age, and ever since the cross, the righteous would be those that are truly washed in the blood of Jesus. On this side of the cross, we're born again. That's the just or the righteous. Everybody else, even if he's a good old boy or a good old girl, if they're outside of the blood of Jesus, they're unjust. Now, on top of that, he, you know, there even among the unjust, there are those that would be um, excelling in their wickedness and sin, like these false prophets. And there will be a special judgment for them. All the all the lost are, you know, all the saved are going to heaven, and all the lost are going to hell. But even as there'll be rewards for them in heaven, crowns and so forth at the judgment seat of Christ, there are going to be degrees of punishment in hell. The Bible tells us that. Jesus said. Uh, he shall receive the greater damnation. Speaking about those that, um, that the blind leading the blind. Speaking about those who take pleasure in leading people away or astray. They're going to receive the greater damnation. And so there's no in-between. There's no middle ground. The world loves it. If the world could have one thing, it would be this, this middle ground. Everybody's okay. I mean, everybody's alright. You take the worst of the worst and the best of the best and we're just going to we're all going to blend together in this big melting pot and we're all okay. You know, you've seen the yin and the yang symbol. You know what I'm talking about? Where it's, it's the black and white uh, circle sort of mixed together, half and half. That is a new age uh, belief. That is a new age theology, not a theology, but a doctrine, so to speak. It's like the force, the Star Wars force. You could use it for good, you could use it for evil. It's not that way. It is not true. That is not what the Bible says. Jesus said, He that is not with me is against me. He that's not gathered to me scatters abroad. There's just not this in between. And I say it all the time. I, for one, am very glad. I'm glad it's not left up to me to float in this life of indecision and, and halfway. I can be born again and know that I'm born again. I can be right with God and know that I'm right with God, even though I may have sinned ten times today and asked God to forgive me ten times. I can know that I know that I know because of Jesus and His blood. And a lost man, because of God is gracious, when the gospel begins to be presented to him, he can know that he's lost. Because we were all lost at one time. And it's a good thing we knew we were lost. some point, you came to realize, hey, I'm not saved. And according to the Word of God, I'm not what a Christian, real Christian is, but I can be. And so there's this judgment that's coming. Um, the Lord has settled it. He settled it ahead of time. Okay? We're, we're living in time and we're going to get there one day to heaven or get to the judgment seat of Christ. But in the Lord, 
He's Alpha and Omega. He knows the end of these false prophets. You know what I mean? He knows what's going to happen with their lives and the judgment that's going to come upon them. We're living in the moment. And y'all, to be honest with you, we're imperfect. We know that. But you might run across and I might run across within Christian circles, whether it's local people that we know or Christianity abroad, okay, TV, ministries, books, whatever. And you wonder, I wonder if they're really of God. I wonder if, you know what I'm saying? There's times, maybe it becomes clear later, they really were of God. Or it comes clear later, they weren't really of God. The Lord knows it all right now. He's not confused by any of it. I need to keep my eyes on the Lord. And so it may seem, let's picture somebody that we're not sure, somebody that's like a false prophet right now in our day. And there are those, okay? Plenty of them. And false teachers. Uh, we wonder though, because we may not be quite sure, we might not have the full revelation right now. And so we say, uh, they're either of God or they're not of God, right? And then we also may think if they're a false prophet, it sure seems like they're getting away with it. Have you ever thought, ever thought that too? Somebody's preaching something false or living something false or living a, they're two-faced. They appear some way in the pulpit, but another way, when you really know them, they're not at all that, but they profess in their behavior, their actions, and it seems like they're getting away with it. It seems like they're actually prospering. They're they're. they're you're just prospering even more and more in that delusion or deception. And I can tell you that neither of those are true. A false prophet is not of God, okay? Even if he may seem like it. And a false prophet is not getting away with it, even if for the time being, they seem to be. And that's something I have to, I have to trust God with that. I have to trust the Lord that He's not confused about it. He's got it. He's got it under control. I pray for a false prophet that they would repent, that they would get saved if they're not saved. But we must go to the Word of God to clear it up. There's not that ambiguity, as I said. He clears it up. We go to the truth. We go to the Word of God to to make it apparent to us. That's the only thing that's going to do it. The Word of God. I don't just run to my neighbor and say, what do you think? There's nothing wrong with doing that. But to really know, the Holy Spirit's going to have to show me and it's going to have to do with how they line up with the Word of God. I'm watching a man. He says he's a Christian or a woman. They say they're of God. They say they're a prophet. They say they're speaking on behalf of my Savior. But I watch them. Either they are or they aren't. Okay? They're not happy. They are or they aren't. If they are, their Word is going to line up with this Word. It's not going to be cherry-picked scriptures that fit a new doctrine. It's going to line up from Genesis to Revelation, the truth of God's Word. And uh, what they preach from the pulpit, they're, they're going to practice in their lives. Not that they're perfected in it, but they're absolutely going to practice it. And when they don't line up with what they preach or the Word of God, they're going to repent just like you and I would. I can get in this pulpit and preach against lying. And I might have told a lie today. But I don't excuse it and boast on it and go tell another lie. I say, God, forgive me. I lied. It was a little white lie, but I lied. Forgive me. That's what we do. And so uh, we go to the Word of God because how many of you know according to the Word of God there are other spirits? Every spirit is not the Holy Spirit. We have a spirit inside of us 
It's a, a human spirit, okay? And you could say it's, it's, we're, we're sinners by our nature, so we're lost. And that soul and spirit, the whole man is lost. But then there's other spirits. There's the Holy Spirit of God, which lines up with everything in the Word of God, and the Holy Ghost that's in you. And then there's the spirit of the world. There's the spirit of Antichrist. There's the false spirits and false uh, demonic spirits. Okay, so every spirit is not of God simply because they say, I'm of God. They're not. That's why the Bible says, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits or test the spirits whether they be of God. We've talked about that scripture a lot from 1 John chapter 4. But y'all, a lot of what's taken place um, surrounding a false prophet in our day or any day, there can be a lot of fanfare around it. You understand what I'm saying? You could have somebody that packs out the Pete Marriage Assembly Center, a false prophet, or packs out uh, a huge NBA arena or something of 40,000 people and a lot of music and a lot of books and a lot of posters and a lot of excitement, a lot of emotion and, and exuberance all go into it. That's not the test of whether or not it's of God or not of God. The test is always remains the same. The Word of God. The Word of God. Rightly divided. How do we rightly divide it? We compare one scripture to another, to another, to another, to another, to another. And it all lines up. It's not a different God in First or Second Peter than it is in Genesis. It's the same God. Christ came in that if we're looking at a timeline, He came. He stepped out of glory and came. But He was in the beginning with God, right? The same was in the beginning with God. He was God. He doesn't change. And so... And the spirit of truth leads us into that. But there can be a lot of fanfare. And what comes out of that and what that is, we think, well, certainly that must be that excitement, that exuberance, that music, that this, the passion when he or she preached or spoke, or the quietness. They got real serious and, ooh, you could cut it with a knife, that, that feeling in the room. None of that means it's the Holy Spirit. None of it means it's God. And if it's not God, then what are you left with? If it's not the Lord, there's two things it could be. It could be your own flesh, because a lot of things are just carnal. We could get carnal in our church. We could get carnal in, our, in the way we praise and not be demonic. We better watch it, though, that we don't. Okay, That's not of the Lord. It's not going to benefit anything. So it could just be emotions. Somebody could innocently be there thinking it's the Lord, and they go to this sermon or this uh, conference or whatever, and, and they're being moved by something and they just get real excited about it in their flesh. But it's not going to probably just stay there. It's going to move on into deception if they lay hold on it. Okay? That's why Jesus says, take heed. Take heed that you're not deceived. So it could just be, if it's not God, just remember this, if it's not the Lord, then what are you left with? What could it be? What's that feeling I feel? What is taking place among these people? What are they feeling? What are they thinking? What's going on here? If it's not God, it's, it's, our carnal, it's the carnal nature, or it could be demonic, okay? And, and in between there, it could be soulish, where... Something and that, that's not a good thing, by the way. We think, well, it's soulish, it sounds good, it's not spiritual, is what we want. Spiritual is what's of God, it's soulish, where it seems and feels, uh, it feels Christian or appears Christian or this is of God and so forth, and, and it's really not. 
And so we have to be careful. And the, and the test, again, is the Word of God. We know the Scripture, but I'm going to quote it to you. For the Word of God, listen specifically to it. We know that but for the Word of God is quick and powerful. It means living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword and is, is able to discern between the thoughts and, the, and the, I'm sorry, the soul and the spirit, even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. And so nothing else can do that. So if we're in a big service, it's a discerner of the thoughts and tents of the hearts, okay? And it's able to decide soul, divide soul and spirit. And we're in a big conference of 10,000 people and the preacher's saying this and 99% of it sounds good and the music is kind of this and you're kind of torn and you're not sure what's going on but it seems like everybody's into it. What is taking place there? Okay? The Word of God will divide it and make it crystal clear what's going on there. You understand that? That's the only thing that will. It's quick and powerful, sharper than a two-edged sword and is able to discern uh, dividing asunder, I'm sorry, of soul and spirit. The Word of God can cut it and let us see, okay, this, this is not of God. Or this is spiritual, this is the Lord. And to separate those two. Aren't you glad He's given us that? Aren't you glad He's given us His Word? Because otherwise there is no test. There is no other test. Well, I really like it. Well, I really felt something when I went there. Well, I really this. And I like the people that go there. And my best friends go there. And, and I grew up there. And none of that matters. I mean, it matters in the sense that we love them. It doesn't matter in the sense that of our definition or our judging or discerning what's of God or what's not of God. It's only the Word of God. i got to stay in Jesus. I want to keep it real simple. I want to stay in the Word of God and I want to keep my eyes on the Lord. And I don't want to let weeks pass without praying. I want to spend my time with God so that He is building me up in that inner man. And I'm hearing the voice of my Good Shepherd. When He speaks, I hear Him. My sheep hear my voice and they follow me. And the voice of a stranger will they not follow because He's a stranger. And they don't know the voice of a stranger. Well, guess what? I don't need to know the voices of a stranger. I need to know one voice and hang on to it. And, and, and abide with the Lord. And that's what we're going to do. And so, let's keep reading a little bit. Uh, skip down. Verse 12. Uh, yeah, verse 12. Let's read there. But, but these as natural brute beasts, these are the false prophets, made to be taken and destroyed. Speak of evil of those of things that they understand not and shall utterly perish in their own corruption. Again, is there some... The Lord's not sure they're halfway good, they're halfway bad, anything like that. It says they're going to utterly, that means completely, perish in their own corruption. Just, that's what God says about it. And He says, and shall receive the reward of unrighteousness as they that count it pleasure to riot in the daytime. Spots they are and blemishes, sporting themselves with their own deceivings, all right, their own deceivings while they feast with you. This is a key thing that Peter is making clear. That Paul said in Acts chapter, uh, I forgot exactly, I'm thinking maybe uh, Acts chapter 21 where he's the last time he's with those pastors and leaders and he wasn't going to see them again. He was going back to Jerusalem. He would eventually be arrested. But anyway, he said that out of your own selves, they're going to be, he's speaking to the pastors of churches where he started the churches. 
And he's got a little group of people here, church leaders and pastors. And he's saying, out of your own selves, right here, they're going to be raised. Some of you are going to come up and be wolves in sheep clothes, sheep's clothing, clothing. And so he says, they feast with you. And then uh, having eyes full of adultery and that cannot cease from sin, beguiling. This is what they do. They beguile or trick like the serpent did with Eve. What do they do? They beguile unstable souls. So what does that tell me? What does the Word of God tell me? I need to be stable. I don't have to be perfect. The Lord is perfecting me. But I have to be stable as far as having a sure foundation. I have to be established on the rock. I need to stay there. I need to know that I need to stay there. And I need to do everything I can to keep my eyes on the Lord. Okay? The Lord's going to establish us and settle us. But, but these people that are false prophets, will be, are, what they're doing is beguiling or tricking unstable souls. And the heart they have exercised, remember we're to exercise ourselves unto godliness, but these people have actually practiced, that's what it means. They've, it's like they've disciplined themselves and exercised themselves to, with covetous practices. They didn't just happen across it and one time do it. They've practiced it. Their purpose, it says back in earlier in this chapter, is to make merchandise of you. They want to make merchandise of you. That could be they want to make financial gains, probably. It would certainly include that. Maybe they want a big following. Maybe they want notoriety. Maybe they want fame. Maybe they want power. But anyway, they're going to use you to get what they want. And they have covetous practices. This is what they have worked at. All right, and they've gotten good at it. Some people have gotten very good at it. It says they're cursed children. And I'm going to just read through the end of the chapter, y'all, and we're going to kind of cover all this together. Which have forsaken the right way and are gone astray, following the way of Balaam. Remember, we talked about that two weeks ago. The son of Bosor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. He loved it. He loved it. How do I know that? Because the Bible tells me that. It's telling me that right here. Every time the Bible speaks of Balaam, we have the account back in Numbers, but then he's, re- he's repeated again. His name is spoken of again in the Old Testament, and then in Jude, and then here. And every time he's spoken of, he's spoken of in this way. He loved the wages of unrighteousness. He, he, That's what he went after. His heart was full of covetousness. And he went after it. And it says... Um, but he was rebuked. The Lord rebuked him, right? For his iniquity, it was sin. The dumbass speaking with man's voice forbade, forbade the madness of the prophet. These are wells without water, clouds that are carried with a tempest, to whom the mist of darkness is reserved forever. For when they speak, and this is a new passage tonight from here to, to the end of the chapter, when they speak great swelling words of vanity, they allure through the lust of the flesh through much wantonness, that means uh, lust or licentiousness, wantonness, those who were clean escaped from them who live in error. While they promised them liberty, they themselves are the servants of corruption. For of whom a man is overcome, of the same is he brought in bondage. For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein and overcome. The latter end is worse with them than the beginning. Listen to this, y'all. For it had been better for them 
not to have known the way of righteousness than after they have known it to, to turn from the holy commandments delivered unto them. But it has happened unto them according to the true proverb. The dog is turned to his own vomit again and the sow that was washed in her wallowing to, in the mire. And so uh, what we see here, y'all, he's talking about back in first, verse 15, they, they have forsaken the right way and gone astray. Now, the Bible makes it very clear, Old Testament and New Testament, that there's a way that seems right unto man. Think about the way. The way. The way is like how you live your life. I'm not talking about doctor, teacher, lawyer, Indian chief. I'm talking about how you live your life according to God and His Word. Okay? And so, there's a way that seems right unto men, but the end thereof are the ways of death. And these have forsaken the right way. That means they had to be part of it. They were walking in the way, uh, or they... they uh, align themselves up or identify themselves with Jehovah, with Jesus Christ, with the Bible. They align themselves with the Lord. And yet at some point later, they've gone astray. They've not only gone astray like you and I might go astray for five minutes or five days or something like that. It says they've forsaken the right way. Forsaken it. Okay? And they've gone astray. And the Bible says that uh, all we like sheep have gone astray, turned every man to his own way. But the Lord laid the iniquity of us all upon Christ. And so when we come to Christ, now guess what? We're in the right way. That word way is really important in the Bible. As I said, here's the way, walk in it. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And these people have forsaken the right way and they've gone after their unrighteousness. And there's two, two things, y'all, that I want to kind of look at tonight because what's described in verses 18 through the end apparently it's just like building in, in, in his description he comes to this portion of the end of the chapter and this to me is a clear picture of apostasy or an apostate all right this is a clear picture of that a person can uh, teach something incorrectly teach something wrongly it doesn't line up with the Word of God and repent and be done with that. God, forgive me. I don't know what I was thinking. The Lord delivered me out of this craziness. I got caught up in this movement. It was taking place in the church. It wasn't of God. It was 85% of God, but it wasn't all. And I got caught up in it. And God was gracious enough to show me, God, forgive me. And I forsake that. And I go on with the Lord stronger than I ever was before. That's not an apostate, okay? This is someone that's forsaken the right way. And there's two things, y'all. When we see somebody or read about somebody or hear of someone that we rubbed elbows with in church, in church circles, in Christianity, in our life in Christ. And as far as we knew, when we went on that mission trip to Honduras or Mexico or went to serve together in the prisons or were ushering together, that... We were both believers. We never even thought about it. But now, the way they're living now, it makes you wonder. Now remember, God's not confused about it. All right? I need to know that God's not confused about it. And in one sense, it doesn't matter that they're my friend or not my friend. I know them so I can pray for them. All right? But it doesn't matter as far as 
I, we see him going way off in left field. You know what I mean? Like way away from what's Christianity and what the Bible says, how we're to live, think, speak, their actions. Now they're, they're living in such a worldly way or in some kind of uh, spiritual way that's not holy spiritual way. Okay? And you, we, we begin to wonder, and it's natural, I do it too. Were they ever saved? Are they saved right now? Or were they ever saved, right? Haven't you asked that before? We do. And if we haven't, we, we will about somebody we know. There's only two choices. They were either never saved, or they were saved and they apostatized. There's only two choices. Because they've gone off. They want nothing to do with the truth and with the Word of God and so forth. And the Bible says, and we can look at it real quick. Keep your spot there. And look at 1 John chapter 2. These are the closest we can get you know, to, to answering that. The Lord's the only one that knows for sure. Are they still saved? Were they ever saved? Uh, you know, were they never saved? Were they saved and do they apostatize? I don't know. I don't know. But I can tell you what the Word of God says. 1 John 2.19 They went out from us. So John is speaking about the congregation of the righteous. The church. Just like we have here. There was somebody in their church. Or more than one somebody in their church. They went out from us. It's not like they're just leaving to go down the street. They went out. Like Demas departed. Right? They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. That's a pretty telling scripture, isn't it? They went out from us and we, we thought they were of us for five years, 10 years, 25 years. We thought they were of us, but they went out and they didn't just go out and sin and come back because we do that every day. They didn't even go out and backslide for a little time and come back and say, thank you all for praying for me. I lost my mind for the last six months. Thank you for reaching out and bringing me back to the Lord, to the truth, to church. This is somebody that's forsaken the right way. And there's no return. You look, they're down, they're gone. They're out of sight. Well, what happened? Because I thought they, they used to teach our Sunday school class. They used to host the youth group at their house. What's going on? Well, John says this is not that totally unusual or foreign that has never been heard of before. They went out from us. So that means they had to have been with them. Just like we're here worshiping the Lord tonight. They went out from us that it might be made manifest or made apparent or clear that they were not of us in the first place. Because if they had been with us, of us, and of the same Spirit of Christ, they would no doubt, he says, have continued with us. They would have continued with us. How many of you know that churches can have problems? Church members between each other can have friction and problems and it can be solved. And you just go on with Jesus. And it can be better and stronger than it was before you even ever had the problem. It really can happen. And guess what? It should happen that way. We're people. And nobody's perfect. Sherry and I might have this big falling out. Okay? But, that, but Sherry and I ought to very quickly 
both come together and humble ourselves before the Lord and say, God, I don't want to be right. And I don't want her necessarily to be right. We want to know what's right in your eyes. And we want to make it right. And that be fixed. And we go on. Under the blood, the Lord takes it away. We're closer than we ever were. And we go on with Jesus. It should be that way, right? And it can be that way. That's not just some pie in the sky thinking. It can be that way. But he's saying these were, it was made manifest that they were not all of us. They were not all of us. The same origin, the same spirit. And it was made clear that they were not. And so uh, we can turn back to our, our scriptures there in 2 Peter chapter 2. But it says when they speak, verse 18, great swelling words of vanity. I know what vanity is? It's emptiness. That's what it means. Vanity is emptiness. It's a puff of smoke. Well, it looked like something really important. It's gone. Where'd it go? It's gone. Okay? It's gone. It was empty. It was nothing. But when it was taking place, it looked so big. It looked so meaningful. It looked so important. But it was emptiness. And this is what their words are. Great swelling words. Okay? Of vanity. They allure through the lust of the flesh through much wantonness, wantonness, those that were clean escaped from them who live in error. So what is it saying? By their, their words of vanity, they, they allure people and deceive people. Remember, it's unstable souls. I don't think we have to be deceived at all. And I don't think we should be deceived. And I think we're responsible for that. Okay? Don't be deceived. Jesus said, be not deceived. And so he's telling us not to. And, but, but there are people that are deceived. And, and they use uh, fine phrases that have no meaning. Have you ever heard someone talk like that? They speak and you're squinting your eyes and you're saying, wow. But when it's over, you say, what did they say? What did they really say? What did they say? I got goosebumps on my neck, but I can't remember. What, what was the point? I've heard things like that. It's great swelling words of vanity. Their fancy words attract undiscerning people. Their sermons lack what's most necessary, and that's the power to set a man free. Because God's word has power to set a man free. Right? God has the power to set a man free and the Word of God comes into that heart of a believer or a lost man can deliver because the Lord can deliver. This is the thing with the false prophets. They never deliver anyone. No one's ever delivered. They can preach about joy and peace and grace and happiness and bubbling over exuberance and joy for the next 25 years and nobody in there is going to be joyful. They don't have any peace. And they don't have any joy. And they can sing about it. And they can sing about a closeness to the Lord. But if the messages and the doctrine is false, it's not true, then it has no power to deliver. It has no power behind it. It's vanity. It's great swelling words of vanity. And that means emptiness. And it says that while they promise them liberty. So the speakers are promising liberty. Follow me. Follow my teachings. Follow my doctrine. Follow this music group. Follow this worship type of worship. Follow this. Follow this. 
It says, while they promise them liberty, they themselves are the servants of corruption. So how can a servant of corruption bring anything to your life that's going to help you? No liberty, no freedom. The people are still depressed. But all they talk about is joy. But they're still depressed. They talk about forgiveness, but they're still bound up in unforgiveness and bitterness. It's never going to change unless there's a repentance because that's a false doctrine and a false message. It's not the truth and it cannot deliver. It does not have the power to deliver. They promise liberty and they themselves are servants of corruption. The Bible says, he goes on to say, for of whom a man is overcome, of the same is he brought in bondage. So whatever overcomes me, whatever it is, if it's a soulishness, if it's a lustfulness, whatever it is, whatever overcomes me, and it can happen in the church world, okay? Whatever overcomes me, then I, it is what brings me into bondage and I become a servant to that. Christ is the way out of all this, okay? So everybody's living and breathing can still be saved, or, or if they were never saved and they're living this way, they can be saved and they can come out. If they're saved and they got deceived, they can repent and come out. But it gets harder and harder the further you go because you're so sure that you're right because you felt this. And everybody else around you says it's of God. And you felt it and you felt But they're, they're serving, they become servants of that thing. When the Lord first warned them, that's when they should have listened. I'm not telling you how many times the Lord will warn. He's a very kind and gracious and patient God. He's a lot more kind and gracious and patient than you and I would be. But there comes some point where he turns people over and said, I tried to show you and I warned you. And, I, and I, every time you know, I, I picture it this way, it's just like Balaam with that donkey. Every time I try to step out of the will of God into something false. The Lord is there to stop me. I, I actually have to climb over him or push him to the side. Or he's, he's not easily going to let me sit back with his hands behind his back and say, there goes Randy down a false tra trail. I'm just going to sit back and watch him go. I can promise you he is setting up major roadblocks, big neon signs. Randy, this is not the right way. I told you that story a thousand times. I know about that, that preacher he was burnt out. He was a Baptist preacher. He, his prayer life was dry. His sermons were dry. His personal life with Christ was dry. He was really saved. And he was struggling with this. And he wanted that next breakthrough in life. And he was sitting in his office. And a friend of his came one day and said, here, you need to read this book. This is, this is going to do it for you. And the man started reading the first couple of pages. He didn't get far into it at all. The pastor, after his friend left, and the Lord said, this is not of me. He folded up the book. He put it all way off to the side. He got on his knees. He repented. He cried. And he said, God, forgive me. Guess what? We can do that. What did God do? He put up an angel with a sword drawn in front of the man. This is not of me. And because he belonged to him and he knew the voice of his good shepherd, he was about to dive into it. This is what I need. This is my new breakthrough. This is my new spiritual journey. This is my new next level step. And he started reading it and God was kind enough and said, it's not. It's a bunch of bull. It's deception. Put it down. 
And the man didn't. He didn't say, well, let me keep reading. There's some good things here. And a lot of my friends like this book. That's when you get in trouble. When God says don't, I don't need to go ask my pastor don't. Or my Bible study group don't. If God told you don't, do you know Him? Yeah, you know Him. You wouldn't be saved in here tonight if you didn't know Him. And so you do know Him. And you know when He speaks to you. I know there's, there's wisdom in a multitude of counselors. I'm not, I'm not against godly counsel. We need it. But the point is, when God has spoken to you, then don't go around God to ask another Christian or somebody else. If God's spoken to you, He's spoken to you. He put the book up. He cried. He repented. He got on His knees. Now, I don't know what happened to Him after that, but I know He's protected from that. Okay? And so the Lord, He's always going to try to throw that roadblock up. And if we get past that, He's going to throw another one. We get past that, he's going to throw another one. And he's like, what does it take for you to see? To wake up and to see you're heading the wrong way. The Lord doesn't want us to walk in the wrong way. Amen? And so again, they speak liberty, and yet they themselves are captive. They're captive. And I don't want a captive preaching to me unless they're captive by, captivated by the Lord. Okay? In His Word. And... Uh, so let's talk about this word, and we're we'll close tonight with, with this teaching. I, I know we've taught it before, but I feel like we're supposed to discuss it again tonight. Uh, on apostasy, verse 20. For if they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and they are again entangled therein and overcome, the latter end is worse with them than the beginning. For it is better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they have known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. It, but it happened unto them, and, and it gives the, the description, two unclean animals, by the way, under the Mosaic system. Uh, and here we see an apostate. This to me is the description of apostasy. And so what does that word mean? I have these that I printed out when we did our study in Hebrews. Those of y'all that were in the church at that time, on the very first study we started at Cornerstone Church on Wednesday nights, we talked through the whole book of Hebrews. And we got to chapter 6, and then we got again to chapter 10, and we, the, the subject came up of apostasy. The word apostasy, apostasize, is not in the Bible. What is in the Bible is the Greek word paripit. Peripto, okay, peripipto, and that means to fall away. And that word is in the Bible, okay? So if you looked under the Greek word uh, fall away, where it's spoken of in Hebrews, that's where we get the word that says apostasy. So there, it, it's like the word rapture. You're not going to find the word rapture in the Bible, but you see the teaching of the rapture. It's the catching away of the Lord's church. Harpezo. It's a Greek word. You look up harpezo, it's rapture. It's catching away. So don't let that throw you off. Um, once saved, always saved. And so this is a big debate, right? Once saved, always saved. And the question is simply this. And it has to be according to the Word of God. I'm not, and I'll tell you this. I'm not going to break off fellowship with another believer over this issue. This is not to me, to me like the virgin birth or, you know, multiple gods that you can choose to believe in. This is, this is important, but I know that there are wonderful, godly Christian men and women, preachers, teachers, ministers, 
authors from years gone by and current that would see this a different way than I see it. As I said, I'm not going to break off fellowship with someone over this and say that they're anathema and don't know the Lord. I pray they wouldn't say it of me. But the point is, according to the Word of God, I believe that there is a teaching of somebody can genuinely know Christ and be born again, and then at some point, walk away. Not for a little while, not for a long time, but walk away from the faith, which has eternal consequences, right? I believe that according to the Word of God. I believe it according to Scriptures that we just read. For it says in in what we just read in verse 20, if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world. What are the pollutions of the world, y'all, by the way? That word pollutions means uh, corruption. It means things that infect. The picture is like of of an infectious disease. It's It's like a putrefying body, a decaying body. That's when you look it up in the description and the definition, these are some of the words that are used. Something that infects, pollutes, defiles. It's used to describe infectious diseases, decaying bodies, stagnant water. And here the world is pictured that way. And this speaks of a person who through the knowledge of Jesus Christ, they clean escaped all that. Now, is that somebody who just started going to church for a while? No, I don't believe because it said they clean escaped it. They clean escaped the decaying rottenness of the world. They came clean out of it. Well, how can a person come clean out other than by genuine saving faith in Jesus Christ? What can make them clean other than the blood of Jesus? What can separate them unto God other than the Holy Spirit? You understand my point? This is not somebody that just started doing the church thing for five years but was never saved. They, would, they didn't come clean out. They started going to church. We could go find somebody on the street and, and train them to be a Christian and make them dress nice and even join the kids' choir, the choir up here, and come and do everything and say everything right and they not be born again. But this is the description. It says, through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So they were clean, escaped from it. Y'all see that? And then they're entangled again and overcome, not just with some particular sin, but with the corruptions of the world and the unbelief. And it goes on to say, it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness, verse 21, than after they have known it, to turn from the Holy Commandment. So that to me doesn't look like just somebody that was never saved. Because I wouldn't say, I got lost family members. I wouldn't say it's, it's better for them you know, uh, to not have known. They need to know. My lost loved ones need to know and to come to Christ. Or my lost friends and yours. But these people, he said, it's been better for them never to have known than to after they've known it. Remember that word know is a theme through Second Peter, the very first series, the lesson we did on this, I think 14 times in, in three chapters. Know or knowledge in some form is used. Kenosis to me means to be fully acquainted with. And so better than for them not to have known. An apostate. Be better for them not to have known than after they've known to turn from it. And I would say the reason why, if they had never known, then you could bring them the gospel and they could be saved. 
But if they know it, they received it, they believed it, they walked in it for some period of time, and now they say, I want nothing to do with that at all. And they walk away from it. It's not that they're just turning back to go to some particular sin. I'm going to go back to my drinking. I'm going to go back to... They're leaving the faith. That's what we have to keep in mind. They're leaving the faith. They're leaving the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I want to look at two Scriptures and we'll try to bring this to a close. I mentioned these in Hebrews 6, verses 4 through 6. For it is impossible. It doesn't say it's hard. He doesn't say it's very difficult. He says it is impossible for those who were once enlightened. And I looked up every one of these words, okay? Just so you know, enlightened. And have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come. Do you think that person that just was described there was a churchgoer or would you say that sounds like a Christian? Truly born-again person. I think it sounds like a born-again person. They were enlightened. They've tasted of the heavenly gift. They were, and this one really gets me, they were made partakers of the Holy Ghost. A lost person, no matter how kind or how often they go to church, a lost person is not a partaker of the Holy Ghost. Our body as saved people is the temple of the Holy Ghost. I could have a really nice person who acts Christian right next to me. It's not born again. Their body is not the temple of the Holy Spirit. They can be saved. Praise God. Amen. At any moment, they can be saved. I'm not closing the door to heaven for them. I'm telling them they can be saved. But they're not saved right now. But the person who's been or made a partaker, that means a partner, fellowship, uh, and, and when it says tasted of the heavenly gift, you look it up, it means experienced it. They experienced it. I didn't just see it, smell it, think about it. I've tasted it. Taste and see that the Lord is good, the psalmist says. Uh, enlightened. When it says that, it's possible for those who were once enlightened. That term is only used for saved men. The only other time it's used is used with the saved people in Ephesians 1.18. Alright? And so... I'm not of the camp that believes in once saved, always saved. I'm also not of the camp that believes you can be lost, saved, lost, saved, lost, saved. I'm saved today. I go to a bar tomorrow night, so I'm lost, and I'll miss the rapture if it came when I'm in the bar. The next day I can come and repent, and the next day I'll go back to the bar again. I don't believe that. That could just be somebody that's not saved, or that could be a backslider that needs to get serious about God. That's not an apostate. Apostate is not wanting to go drink again. An apostate doesn't want anything to do with Jesus again. And there's a big difference. So I'm going to keep reading this. It's impossible for this person who was just described in verses 4 and 5. Tasted of the powers of the world to come. Alright, verse 5, 6. If they shall fall away. That word, you look it up in the Greek. It's apostas. It's that word, uh, peripipto, that I talked about. That is where we get apostasy from. If they shall fall away. It's impossible. It's a long run on sentence. To renew them again unto repentance. Well, any other Christian that sins can repent, right? Haven't you repented a million times since you've been saved? It's not impossible for you as a Christian when you sin to repent and come back to God. Even if you sin for a long time and sin really bad, it's not impossible for you to repent. But this person... It's impossible for the, the one that falls away from the faith. And it's not impossible for a lost man to repent. 
Amen? And get saved. But it's impossible for this man who falls away from Christ to repent, uh, to, to renew them again unto repentance, seeing that they crucify themselves to themselves the Son of God afresh and put Him to an open shame. I think it's, it's described a little bit better in chapter 10, or a little more clearly, let's put it that way. Pick up in chapter 10 of Hebrews, verse 26. This will probably be the, uh, the last scripture that we read. For if we sin willfully, well, we all sin. You can say all sin is willful. But if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth. Again, I believe that's speaking. He's saying we. I think he's speaking of believers, not a lost person. There remains no more sacrifice for sins. Now we're closing in on the point. If I reject after having received Christ, if I now reject Christ as being the sacrifice for sins and the sacrifice of my sins, then where am I to go for the sacrifice for my sins? If He is the only way and the only sacrifice for the sins of the world and the only way to the Father, it's through Christ and His shed blood. And that's the only way. And I believed it at one time and received it at one time, but now I no longer believe it nor want it. Now where will I go for forgiveness? You understand the point? A lost man can always come to Christ. But apostates just turn from the only one who can save them. Save them. The only blood that can cleanse them. And he says, there remains no more sacrifice for sins. But here's what remains for, the, for those that fall away. Verse 27, a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation, which shall devour the adversaries. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Of how much sore punishment suppose ye shall he be thought worthy who has trodden, listen, this is very important, who had trodden underfoot the Son of God and had counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified. Is that a lost person that never knew Christ? Is a lost person been sanctified by the blood of Jesus? No. He says now he's counting the, he's counting, uh, the blood of the Son of God of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing and had done despite unto the spirit of grace of the Holy Spirit. And so I'm just going to stop right there. That to me is a very uh, clear uh, picture. Each one kind of adds to the other. I said it earlier in 1 Timothy 4.1 that in the latter days men shall depart from the faith. And so those could be people that were never saved. They were in church and like John talked about, they were never of us. But then you also get the picture here. This doesn't say that they were never of us. He was sanctified by the blood of the covenant. Whoever is being described in Hebrews 10. And now he counts the same blood that at one point cleansed him of his sin and sanctified him. He looks at that same blood, the same cross, the same Christ, and he he's just does despite to it. He hates it. He rails on it. Again, he doesn't just want to go drinking his beer again. He's done despite unto the Spirit of grace. He's trampled underfoot the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified. He counts it now not only as worthless, but as an unholy thing, it says. Do you think this is a common thing? Because I don't. I think it's very rare. I think, I think when we're unsure and saying, I wonder if they were ever saved. I wonder if they were ever really saved. I think most of the times, and I'm not putting a percentage on it because I have no idea. 
Most of the time, I think they weren't. I think most of the time they were never really saved. They did the Christian thing for a while. They did the Christian thing for a period in their life. Okay? And then they go on back and they just go back into the world and they never really were saved. I think that's far, far more common when you see that type of thing take place. But it doesn't negate this, what we've been studying. We still see this here, that somebody's been a partaker of the Holy Ghost, sanctified in the blood of Jesus. And now all that remains for them is this fiery indignation of God and this judgment of God. But that's not for a believer. Right? Fiery indignation and this judgment. That's not for a believer. But this is a person that was sanctified by the blood of Jesus and now is doing despite into the Spirit of grace and walking away from the whole thing. And so, I'm bringing this to a close tonight. If we're still in chapter 10, I want to look at verse 39. I just wanted to close with something a little more upbeat. Verses 38 and 39. We read it Sunday in, in the message this past Sunday. Now the just shall live by faith, but if any man draw back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of them who draw back under perdition as a falling away, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. Don't get up and go home and leave tonight being afraid you're going to lose your salvation. Don't do it. You're not. You're not. I've lost my wallet before. I've lost my checkbook before. I can remember it. Okay? I've lost my keys before. I hated it. I didn't want to. An apostate is not like that. You're not going to lose your salvation. The Lord keeps us. Even when we sin, come back. Be forgiven. Come back. A thousand times over. A thousand times a thousand over. Keep coming back to the Lord. We're going to heaven. We're going to spend eternity with the Lord. I'm born again. Thank you, Jesus. An apostate didn't lose his salvation. An apostate took his keys, like your car keys, and threw them off the bridge. He drove to Mississippi River Bridge, parked his car, got out, walked on the shoulder, thought about what he was doing, took his wallet and his keys and his checkbook and chucked it in the water. He says, I don't want it anymore. This is what an apostate does. He didn't lose his keys. He forfeited his keys. He gave them away. And so that to me uh, is where I believe in the Bible that belief of apostasy, losing it's not losing your salvation. It's forfeiting your salvation. So I'm going to leave it with that. I would love it if, if you don't believe that and say, well, he's trying to talk me into that. I'm not. That's what I glean from the Scriptures. That's what I gather from the Word of God. Okay? And it's not something that's going to make or break you going to heaven or me going to heaven. Y'all understand that. And I don't want to put more emphasis on it than the Bible does, but the Bible does talk about it. That's why I wanted to cover that. So I want to close with that. We're, don't, please don't live in fear that God's going to leave you while you fell asleep tonight. You went to bed, you went to bed angry. And the Bible says, don't let the sun go down in your wrath. And you, you and your wife, or you and your husband had a big argument. You turned over, faced the other way, turned the light out, went to sleep. And you knew you weren't supposed to do it. And you did it anyway. And you say, oh no, during the night I'm going to lose my salvation. No. Get up in the middle of the night and repent. All right? And wake up your spouse and say, forgive me. And they're going to say, what? You know, Go back to sleep. Forgive me. And the, and the Lord does it. Okay, you haven't lost your salvation. And we're not going to live in fear of that. Anyway, let's close, y'all. Father, I want to thank you tonight, Lord.